Hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. I'm Jill Cruz. And today I spoke with my colleague, Haley Breitinger. And Haley is in Florida and she's a mental health counselor. We had just a wonderful conversation. So Haley said, yeah, I'll I'll be on your podcast, but I really want to talk about how we can work together to destigmatize mental health, seeking out mental health counseling. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So we talked about that and how, you know, a lot of times people are, they don't think that they, we've come a long way with mental health, but people still question, you know, am I a candidate for, for working with a therapist or a counselor? There's a lot of fear around that still, and there's a lot of stigma around it. And we talked about how it should be as natural to seek out, you know, mental health counseling as it is to seek out a nutritionist or a, fit, or a fitness professional. It's not just about having severe mental illness. It could just be nice to talk to somebody and and talk about all the stuff that's going on in our world right now and the trauma. We even mentioned about the trauma of, you know, the pandemic and all of that. We also talked about disordered eating and body dysmorphia. And Kaylee was very kind in explaining what it means to have disordered eating and what it means to have body dysmorphia. And it's way, way more common, I think, than, than those are my words, <laughs> than perhaps a lot of us think. Uh, certainly in my world, I know how often I see it. But uh, people may not know, you know, do I have disordered eating? Do I have body dysmorphia? And so this podcast episode is great because we really covered all of that. And uh, where to start? You know, do you think that you are somebody who should seek out some help with a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist? This was a fantastic episode, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of it. Hello, Haley. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Hello. Thank you for having me. So you are in the world of mental health, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, specifically where you're at and what you do and your passions. I want to hear all about that. Uh, But I thought we could just start off by saying, you know, so mental health has been stigmatized so much, or mental illness maybe is, is more appropriate. What do you think is really important for people to know about mental health and the, and treatments and therapies? Um, I think it's important for people to know that, you know, we're entering a time now where more things are happening in this world than ever that really are pushing for the need for mental health and making sure that along with health, diet, social interaction, education, that we're taking care of ourselves mentally. Looking at the pandemic that just happened, I'm located in Florida. You know, we just had a hurricane come through. Everything that's going on with politics and war overseas, there's just so much happening that whether you have a diagnosis or not, there's things that need to be talked about because it's impacting everybody in their own individualized ways. So nowadays, I think generations are a little bit less of that stigma or a little bit more open to kind of recognizing, okay, emotionally, mentally, I need to take care of myself as well. But we're still kind of chipping away at it. So really just understanding that, you know, like it's okay. Therapists have therapists. I have a therapist. And whether that's because kind of some of the work I do is heavy and I need to talk through, or it's some of those reasons I just said that, hey, a lot of things are going on in our world and I can't take it on all by myself. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I have so many thoughts. First of all, I think that I was traumatized by the pandemic. And I know that that's me and every other human being on this planet, most likely. (laughs) You know, when I think about March, April of 2020, I'm in New York. I do feel like I have some, some trauma there. And then, you know, going forward. So I think it's really important for us to talk about that even. That's so big. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, talking about our feelings and having someone to talk to and considering that part of our health, our hygiene, <laughs> you know, our health hygiene is a, is a wonderful thing. It's, it doesn't have to be this big deal. Mm-hmm. It could just be, you just, you're just talking to someone. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a therapist, but I, I think if we could, like you said, take that stigma away and say, hey, you know, you just, just reaching out for help. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. And if you look at what people's natural reactions even were to the pandemic, at least personally, I knew so many people where gyms were shut down, my job was shut down, this, that, and the other. So what am I going to do? I'm going to start going on more runs. Or I even had so many individuals who purchased at-home gym gear and, and things like that. But no one sat down and said, Maybe I'll get some more emotional support though. I'll go focus on my physical health. I'll say, okay, I now have maybe a little bit more time to do that. But no one said, let me go focus on my mental health. And you look at some things that came out of the pandemic. They said that unfortunately, like domestic violence and abuse went up because people were in their homes more. Um, You look at children now that have social anxiety and issues transitioning back to in-person school, things along those lines. Um, A lot of individuals with OCD because now they have those added fears. They're obsessing over germs and who could I run into and what illness could I get. None of this has really been talked about as much as businesses struggled, which is also very sad, but you know, making sure we're encompassing everything that came from the pandemic and not just things like the economy or gyms being affected or schooling will be changed forever. Okay, well, how about mental health? Yeah. And I think part of your point that I'm gleaning from what you're saying is it's not just about, because we did hear about the, well, at least I did, you know, the increase in mental illness that occurred. And I have some friends and colleagues who are therapists. I, one of them, I mean, she was, she was emailing me like once a week in in 2020 because she was, she's in New York, so overwhelmed herself, right? I think mental health workers were not on the level of nurses and ER, you know, doctors in the hospital, but pretty high stress level there when you suddenly are dealing with an additional layer of anxiety and fear and all of that stuff. So we kind of knew about that going on. At least Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of people did. But what about the average person who just was internalizing a lot of these issues and just feeling stressed and not being able to cope? Um, I think it's it's not just about, oh, I want to be healthy. I'm going to eat a little bit better. I'm going to take a walk every day. Um, I'm going to try to get in bed in time. It's also... I'm going to address my mental health and I'm going to take care of myself in that way. It doesn't have, you don't have to have depression or anxiety or OCD or schizophrenia to, to recognize that we all need to care for ourselves, that aspect of our bodies. You've said it perfectly. I mean, I, I have had patients that 
have major depressive or generalized anxiety or bipolar, borderline personality, and maybe they are on more of the acute end with you know, self-harm thoughts or, you know, an, an inability for days to get out of bed. But then I also have some clients that come every week, every other week, just just talk about their week and life stressors and what they think they handled well and where they think maybe they could improve, how they maybe think they could have viewed a situation differently. So there's really any and all reasons to go to talk to someone besides what I feel this image is that people formulate in their head of the most severe cases. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you know what this reminds me of? As a nutritionist, people come to us who have autoimmune or they've had a scary diagnosis or they you know, really want to lose weight or whatever it is. And I remember this so clearly when I, I for a long time, I wanted to work with pregnant women. And because I thought, this is the best, even pre, pre-pregnancy, right? Like, like people trying to conceive because what's more preventive than, <laughs> you know, healthy babies, mm-hmm. unhealthy moms and healthy moms, right? So I, I went into that world, but what I found was the people who came to me were mostly 99.9% of them were people who had gestational diabetes or preeclampsia or they were eating a vegan diet and they needed guidance mm-hmm. and all the healthy people out there who actually need help, let's face it, not, you know, most of them, they're not, they're not willing to go and, you know, invest the time and the money to get nutrition services. And I think that that's for not just pregnant women, but people in general. So it's kind of relating it to what you're saying. Like, I'm not saying that everybody has to come in and hire me as a nutritionist, but I'm just saying that I think seeking out professional help is important for a lot more people than I think actually do it because they mm-hmm. think, oh, I'm, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. I'll just deal with my anxiety. I'll just deal with my over, you know, I'll just go on a weight loss program on my own. Mm-hmm. And there are, um, there are a lot of benefits to working with someone who is an expert in this area. <laughs> Let's face it. Absolutely. So I think more people need to seek it out. Mm-hmm. I think there's a few different thought processes in, in, in both our fields where it's maybe I don't want someone else to know. I want it to be just just my my thing that I'm working on myself, whether it's signing up for a weight loss journey or it is reading an article online about coping skills, which both are helpful. Neither are a bad decision. But right. maybe a I don't even want to use the word better because everybody's journey is individualized, but another option that isn't even coming across your mind is, well, I could go talk to someone. I could go get another point of view. And if I don't like it, I don't like it, but I could try it. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious also about, you know, what brought you into this field and, you know, maybe share a little bit about where you're at right now and, you know, professionally, and I can sense your passion and your caring. I love it. Thank you. It's very palpable. And so I'm just curious, is there a story behind that? Do you, if you're willing to share a little bit? Absolutely. Um, So I am a registered mental health counseling intern in the state of Florida, which is a little confusing because although intern is in the name, you are not an intern. We did an internship during our master's program, but we are graduated. We are a licensed clinician. We're providing counseling services, but we are still at kind of an associate beginner level. 
So I'm working on gaining hours, I'm gaining supervision, you know, really making sure that I know my craft well enough to branch out on my own and provide appropriate services. I work in a private practice, so providing those one-on-one counseling sessions that everyone sees in the movies and is used to. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a couch. No, you don't have to lay down flat on it and look at the ceiling and speak about your life. But <laughs> but that is one component of what I do. The other side is going to be more clinical operations. So that's working for a bigger corporation that addresses eating disorders, substance use, mental health, and just really making sure that operations-wise that that company is where it needs to be. In terms of what got me into the field, a lot of individuals that go into mental health, absolutely there's that... I want to help other individuals. And that was a component of it for sure. However, a lot of individuals also have kind of their own private story, reasoning, background, whatever wording you want to use of why they got into mental health specifically. Um, For myself, probably around middle school, I started noticing some body dysmorphia, really comparing myself to other individuals. Um, My parents and friends looking at me, you know, you're fine, you're healthy, you play sports, you're this, you're that, the other. A word I hate to use, but I was the norm. I, I, I fit in it. I was fine. But I viewed myself as I am so big. What is wrong with me? I don't look like my fellow female companions. So what that led into was not necessarily, necessarily a diagnosis, but what we'll call in the field is just disordered eating. So Mm -hmm. it led to restricting nutrition and food intake, um, excessive exercise, things along those lines. So after kind of luckily working through that with the support of my loved ones, my friends, and kind of just an aha moment where, you know, I said, I'm tired all the time. And you know what? Food tastes good. Um, Mm -hmm. That kind of just snapped me out of it to where, okay, I want to make sure that I'm treating my body the way it deserves. But a lot of individuals don't kind of have either the support of their loved ones or that aha moment that I had. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get into the field to kind of be able to help other individuals in a broader sense whose just general view of themselves, the world, is distorted. Mm-hmm. So being kind of that voice of reason, maybe providing that psychoeducation, those techniques to look at the world a different way, a healthier way, which in turn will make your mental health and your overall being healthier. Yeah. Well, so many people have disordered eating. And mm-hmm. I, I'll say because you know, I work almost exclusively with women, it's so pervasive. It's so pervasive. I mean, I'd say almost every single person who comes to us has some aspect of disordered eating. I myself have have a history of disordered eating, not body dysmorphia. Could you just define body dysmorphia? I think because I just think it's important to define it. Yeah. So I'll explain it in a way where I think kind of like the listeners will understand easiest that it's really kind of just viewing any component of your body. It doesn't have to be with like size or healthiness or skinny or fat, but just viewing any component of your body and seeing something different than one, what is actually there. Um, so a lot of people don't understand. It could even have to do with, you know, thinking your ears are way bigger than they are or your eyes are too far apart when average, norm, everything's fine. Um, And a lot of times that can lead to drastic behaviors, trying to correct that image, which in turn is irrational because what you're seeing isn't real. 
Right. Do you think that a lot of people do that because we are, we have all of these, you know, societally, I guess what people are agreeing is ideal images uh, just paraded in front of us nonstop, right? You go to the grocery store, you're at the checkout aisle, you see the magazines, you see the billboards, you watch TV or, or video games or whatever it is, Instagram. And it's mm-hmm. this, this idea of the perfect body for women. Let's just focus on women. <laughs> Men, you get your own podcast. You know, go, <laughs> go hang out with Joe Rogan. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I know that I myself have looked at my body and compared myself since I was probably... I don't know, 12 or 13 years old mm-hmm. to some uh, so-called ideal that I've seen in mm-hmm. media somewhere. Does that yeah. create the dysmorphia is like, well, I don't look like so-and-so, therefore there's something wrong with me. There's a lot of different things that can come from for some people. It may be related to like childhood and abuse situations like that. For other individuals, OCD and disordered eating go hand in hand because Mm -hmm. it's a control component. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I can control what's going in my body. I can control the number of um, calories. When I stand on a scale, I can control that number to a sense. So, and that's another reason it's kind of having like an underlying OCD type component. But then, absolutely, yes, there's that comparison. I mean, I kind of said it in my story that I was looking around and I said, my fellow female companions. I, I, I swear I'm bigger than them. I, I swear I'm not falling into this norm, this, this average with them. And, and then that bothers me. So there's a few different reasons that something like that could be developed, but especially in our world now of social media, looking at the Kardashians that have normalized extreme working out along with potential, we don't know, surgeries and, <laughs> and, and, you know, things along those lines. Um, it definitely draws females to want that perfect ideal image that we see on Instagram, that we see on the billboards, that we see in TV and media. So that can definitely cause you to look at those celebrities, look at those Instagram influencers, look back at yourself and say, well, why don't I look like that? Even though you might not look that different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's it's the the irrational part of it that's that I think you're you're pointing out. So what about disordered eating? How does somebody know if they have disordered eating? Honestly, the number one foolproof way is to go to either, you know, someone similar to myself or to yourself. That that is really who's going to give their opinion on, you know, you're lacking certain nutritional intake or your relationship that you have and your view you have on food is either unhealthy or just there's a piece lacking there. Mm -hmm. So going to a professional is definitely going to be like the foolproof on paper. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. But for an individual that maybe just hears this and says, do I have disordered eating and wants to kind of just reflect some within their self, um, you know, kind of look at day in and day out, maybe what types of food are they eating? How often are they eating? Do they feel tired throughout the day because they're missing some nutritional intake? What messages did they receive while they were growing up or are receiving now regarding their body and food? A lot of people don't realize, I love that it's becoming a thing now of how earlier influences can impact nutrition and eating and weight loss and health and wellness. Even in terms of people saying, why? Because again, disordered eating people think that, you know, that has to do with 
kind of what I said, dieting, restricting, losing an unhealthy amount of weight, not getting the nutrition you need. But there's also the other side. I'm overeating. When Mm -hmm. I'm sad, I eat. When I'm happy, I eat. I have no control over this. That is another component of disordered eating. And just a brief example, some people don't realize that from childhood, you may be, because your parents loved you and you were a growing kid and they want to make sure that, you know, I cooked this awesome meal. We all ate it as a family. That repeated message, finish your plate. Make sure you eat everything on your plate. People don't understand how as adulthood that transitions into you're going out to eat, you're having an amazing meal with your family, portion sizes have increased nowadays and you still have that message of finish everything on your plate because Uh this is a nice meal, because it's a celebration, because I'm spending good money on it, whatever the reason is. And then that turns into overeating, not being able to control, even though your stomach is screaming at you, I'm full stop. You know, you're saying, I got to finish the plate. Uh And that can be a form of disordered eating. So kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there, but just, just educating yourself, kind of reflecting within of maybe what messages did I get earlier in my life? What messages am I getting now? What am I eating? How often am I eating? And also my emotions and thoughts while I am. If your thought while you're eating is, I got to finish this plate, then maybe you don't have a diagnosis, but you might recognize hmm, all these times I'm finishing my plate and I feel so full and I'm wondering why can't I meet my nutrition, weight loss, health, wellness, whatever goals, is that a component of it? And that's just one example. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I, there's so much there. <laughs> You're literally in, in my world right now <laughs> with our clients. You know, it, it's just, there's just so much. And, and I always go back to, it. I feel sad about it. I really do. I feel sad for myself. I feel sad for women in general, because on one side, we have these images that we have to contend with nonstop. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a societal expectation that women have to be thin and beautiful. Uh, As we get older, we have, and, and, you know, our appearance is how we're valued pretty much. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, look at Michelle Obama, all the talk about her arms, like what about her fucking brilliant mind? I'm sorry <laughs> for swearing, but like, you know, who cares about her arms? They're beautiful. Yeah, let's move on. You know, it's just totally fine to be commenting on our appearances. And part, and we then, I think the way that I see it is I, it's wrapped up in my value now, right? So then when I hit 30 and it's a little bit harder and then I hit, hit 40, it's a little bit harder to eat mindlessly and maintain my weight. But mm-hmm. if my weight is part of my identity of someone of value, this, this is mm-hmm. me, this is how I provide value to the world, or this is what makes me worthy of love or respect. And that's being taken away from you in air quotes, right? That's disappearing. It's really hard. And then you go online and you say, well, what can I do about that? How can I lose weight? Mm-hmm. How can I be more you know, muscular or whatever it is? And then you're inundated with all of these perfectionist images, you know, these so-called celebrities, or I call them diet gurus, <laughs> mm-hmm. tongue in cheek, you know, they, they are acting as if, you know, well, it's all your fault. It's all your yeah. fault that you, you can't control what you're eating. Yeah. And, and so now you're stuck with this feeling of I'm not good enough. I'm not fulfilling that role as that perfect lady and it's all my fault. And then, and then I feel shame. And I feel, and I blame myself and maybe I blame mm-hmm. others and I feel guilt. And, and it's like this, you know, repetitive thing of like, well, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? 
why did I overeat that meal? Why do I keep overeating that meal? And this is the world of, these are the women that we work with. And mm-hmm. I, as, as a 52 year old woman, I'll tell you, I've, I've had all of those thoughts myself mm-hmm. and it, it's just really hard. So I just wanted to say that <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> it's funny. You kind of brought up that thought process of, you know, oh, like you, if you, if you like, you have to look skinny, like women are meant to look, you know, thin and slender and feminine and, and things along those lines. But I actually just had a conversation with one of my friends the other day that it's almost like we can't win because we've also kind of transitioned into this new image of, yeah, they need to be somewhat thin and, and slim and and things along those lines, but also you got to have curves, right? which being slim and having curves at the same time is very difficult if people did not realize that. <laughs> so, so it almost, yeah. it almost reinforces again, kind of what you were saying of, I can't win. I should be shameful because I'm not in the 1% bracket of women who have to, who happen to have a tiny waist and larger hips. Right. And so then, so then it becomes, can even transition into, especially someone if they already have mental health issues, let's say they already Mm -hmm. have depression and now they're getting all these messages and they know they'll never have those maybe larger hips or larger backside. They'll never have that teeny waist because they have bigger ribs or, you know, whatever reason it may be that like literally cannot be changed without intensive surgery. That just takes that depression to a whole new level. And it's a whole new layer and reason that then they need to work through. So it like, it, it, it just, it all goes hand in hand of almost feeling like a constant cycle of like, I, I can't win here. What, what am I yeah. supposed to do when society is just blasting these messages at me, but also at maybe potential partners I'm looking for and I'm not mm-hmm. the image they're seeing everywhere. Yeah. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. So now that we got all depressed and sad about that, <laughs> <laughs> what can we do about it? Like, I know, you know, you're not here to provide a therapy session or anything like that, but um, I mean, we already talked about, you know, seek out people who can support you, people who are, I I actually don't really know about bad therapists because I've never really heard of such a thing. (laughs) Maybe because the world is, it feels like the therapy world is very private, you know, like you see all these people on Instagram talking about diet, fitness, uh, sleep, even sleep and stress management. But when it comes to mental health, it's kind of shrouded a little bit from, mm-hmm. from my perspective. And, and I think there's a, a big reason for that. There's privacy, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. huge In any case, I think that it's important for people to seek out professional help and, and to work with a, a therapist who has what? Like, how do we know? Like, I know in my world, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, work with someone who has a degree in nutrition. Please do not work mm-hmm. with someone who's just winging it. Please. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a problem. A lot of fitness professionals give nutrition advice, even though they really have no formal training or degrees. Yes. I do give recommendations for fitness, but mm-hmm. I always recommend that people work with a professional. Just like I give recommendations for sleep, but I recommend that people see a sleep specialist if they're struggling, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's fine to give a little, you know, we we all kind of bleed into each other. Like you as a therapist, maybe find yourself talking about vegetables sometimes with your clients, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's perfectly normal, but we have to respect the boundaries and, and know when we need to refer out. 
So anyway, I guess I'm going off on a tangent, but I think that <laughs> I think it's important for for individuals to take that one look at themselves or or multiple, you know, really like you said, something to ponder within yourself. Do I need help from a professional here? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of this, like I pretty much have found that every single client that we work with, if they're working with a therapist, everything is more smooth. Mhm. It's not always easy, you know, it's not, it's definitely not perfect. Absolutely. But the journey is a much more based in self-awareness. Yes. That's huge. That's huge. And then oftentimes we have clients and we're thinking, you know, I have four nutritionists who work for me and we talk a lot about our clients and I say, you know, we need to refer to a therapist mm-hmm. here. And so you know, sometimes it takes a, a professional telling you that you need professional help, but sometimes you have to look within yourself. And it's hard to know where to start too, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, there's a few different components of kind of what you said there that definitely I agree with, you know, the biggest comparison I kind of have, like when you say maybe, like the term we use is remaining in kind of your scope of practice. If right. someone were to come to me with like severe dissociative identity disorder, I'd look at them and I'd say, I'm not your girl. You, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I have barely had any exposure to that besides coursework. That is a rather acute diagnosis that you should go to someone who has had years of experience in this field. So kind of remaining, recognizing what's in your scope of practice. Yeah. And, you know, you'll see a lot of individuals who maybe do life coaching or, you know, those types of fields. And those are great. And those can be really helpful for someone. But really, if what you're looking for is like clinical help and someone who's had a formal education and coursework in in diagnoses, in treatment, in, in all those things, looking for, for sure, you know, master's degree, whether that be social work, psychology, clinical mental health counseling, marriage and family therapy, and then it kind of like what I opened with that licensure, because mm-hmm. that that licensure is what's letting you know they're working towards, you know, really securing experiential hours. They're passionate about making sure they have, it comes out to like minimum two years of working with that supervisor, a buttload of hours face-to-face with clients. Um, so someone my level still maybe an associate level can still provide you services, but understand their experience and their, and their scope of practice may be less. Whereas Uh someone who is fully licensed, not as an associate level is going to have all those hours, going to have all that supervision and maybe have been exposed to more. And then kind of like your overall question there of when you said, you know, what can we do? Really what comes to mind is you worded it perfectly of kind of that privacy, that shroud is really when we talk about people posting on Instagram, oh, I, I started this weight loss journey or I got a personal trainer or whatever, being comfortable to say, I got a new therapist, whether that's on Instagram, <laughs> whether, that, whether that's talking to your friends, um, because there is kind of that component of, yes, it, it's private. You have every right not to shoot it from the roof, not to shout it from the rooftops. But also if you want to, if maybe you have a friend that you think should maybe go see a therapist, disclosing to them personally, I just got one. 
you know, that that's why mm-hmm. I like to say I'm a therapist and I have a therapist. Yeah. We, we don't have it all together. We're not in our, I think it was like white castle, like you said, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, so like, it's okay to speak about these things and be excited to announce I started this new wellness journey. Yeah. Because I think this is really important since you made the comment of never meeting like a bad therapist. I'm going to be honest in the field where I don't know if bad is, is the correct word, mm-hmm. but I have heard too many stories of, I tried the whole therapy thing. I didn't like the person. It didn't work out. Never trying again. I'm good. Yeah. I understand that hundred percent. So the favorite phrase I like and other therapists like to use finding a therapist sometimes is like dating. You're going to have one you really don't like. You're going to have one you connect with. And then maybe that one retires. You're going to have the next one you really don't like. It, it's it's no different than going to a dentist that is trying to talk to you the whole time. And you're saying, I'm not comfortable. I don't like this. I don't want to go to this office again. Right. And going to find another dentist. It, it It's no different. Mm-hmm. So really just understanding that the first therapy experience you may have, if it doesn't go exactly in your head how you enven- en- envisioned and it's not perfect it's okay to break up with that therapist and say, I'm going to go see someone new. I'm going to try other things. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's great. I think it's, it's very important for us to, as women, especially in, in a, in a society where we talked about all the crap that's going on, but also in the health industry itself, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of patriarchal stuff that's going on that minimizes us that, cuts, you know, kind of silences us, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that it's important working with a therapist or any health professional that we speak our minds. You know, if you're not happy with something, just say it, just say it. Like that therapist is actually going to be relieved to hear Mm -hmm. you speaking your truth, not oh, I'm just, I, you know, I don't like this person. I'm just going to disappear. Or I don't like this person. I'm just going to keep going and suck it up. Don't do that. And, and with doctors too, you know, I, I many mm-hmm. times I've had people say, well, my doctor doesn't do this or my doctor doesn't listen to me. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there are lots of doctors out there, you know, go, go stand in your power, mm-hmm. stand in your power. You are the consumer. You are the client or the, or the customer. Mm-hmm. Like you're allowed to, to speak your mind. And if something is not working, say it. You know, I, I'm, I'm really trying to, one of the things that I try to do with our clients is to help them to express, like, just start talking more, start. It's hard, you know, because as women, we've been taught to kind of minimize our voices and to not speak our minds and not rock the mm-hmm. boat, make waves, don't get angry, don't be a bad girl, don't stand up for yourself, don't be aggressive, like yeah. all this stuff, right? And that translates to a lot of suffering, you know, um, like I in know silence. this one woman in silence, in silence. And, and that I think ultimately is going to lead to, I, this gets a little woo woo, but I really do believe that it's going to f- affect your physical health eventually. Oh yeah. Oh you yeah. Know? Or maybe well, it's not even... woo woo actually. <laughs> I'm listening I mean... to the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you, mm-hmm. you read, read mm-hmm. that book, but he's talking, I haven't finished it, but he's talking about how trauma physically, physiologically affects your body. long after the trauma, traumatic event or event, you know, period of time has ended. Mm -hmm. Anyway. No, I mean, (laughs) like I I know of that book. I've recommended it to clients before. So I think it's awesome that even, you know, you as a nutritionist is taking the the route of, well, what more can I learn about my body and about my wellness? Yeah. Yeah. It's all connected. It's all connected. So 
this has been great. Your mental health and your physical health are absolutely, there's really no separation. You know, for anybody listening, please, you know, it's okay. Like probably the kindest person you're ever going to speak to is a therapist. (laughs) And you, and you, you'll know, trust your gut because it, it, it sounds crazy. Again, those messages that, you know, you mentioned, oh, I, I, I can't break up with my therapist after one or two or three sessions, you know, no, like we're forming a bond now. No, you'll know, you'll know. And if, and if that person, that therapist isn't for you, doesn't mean you're labeling them a bad person. Doesn't mean you're being picky. It just means them as a therapist are not for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's taking healthy responsibility for your health and advocating for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think any therapist, look, if the therapist gets mad at you, they weren't a good therapist. So, um, yes, 100%, 100%. <laughs> so anyway, well, Haley, this has been great. I, I've loved this conversation and I appreciate your spending the time, you know, just helping, helping women out there to open up our eyes to things that we may have never realized before. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I kind of wish I had maybe either awareness or there were more things like this going on when, when I was growing up, when I was going through my own things. So, so if I can provide that for someone else, then I think it's, it's, it's a good day. Yeah. And also for people listening, like it's, you know, there are probably many people who would listen to this podcast who have grandchildren or children who are, you know, preteen, teen, and it's such an important Mm -hmm. time. And so, you know, be on the lookout, like, I don't know what the whole protocol is, but it's happening to our teens. It is right mm-hmm. now as we speak, all of this stuff. So it's good for people to have this information, not only for themselves, but for their people and, you know, younger people in their lives, I think. Maybe just take a step back, that awareness of what messages am I maybe giving? You know, mm-hmm. do I need to be a listening ear when my child, my grandchild comes up to me and says, you know, I, I saw this image of this person or do I want to eat this thing? Just, just an awareness of where could that be coming from? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place to start. Thank you for that tip. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. problem. (laughs) All right, Daly, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. I really enjoyed talking with Haley. And if you would like to reach out and say hi, if you have a question, Haley was so kind to offer. She said, if anybody listens and they just want to ask me a question, please feel free to do that. You can find Haley on LinkedIn and uh, we'll put the link to her LinkedIn page, her profile in the show notes. So if you're just not sure, if you're curious, just reach out to Haley, say hi, you know, probably she can direct you in in the right direction, or you can reach out to me and say hi. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening today. If you are looking for more, please check out our website, which is winweightloss.com. That's W-Y-N weightloss.com. We have a blog that has tons and tons of articles, information, inspiration for you. That's winweightloss.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening.